Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome, welcome. It's great to be with you on this Tuesday afternoon, wherever you might be. Give us a shout out. Let us know where you're at. Are you driving? On your? Are you out for a run? You name it. We're just taking a brisk walk here in Southern California in the May gray and the mist, which is invigorating when you're trying to get yourself out. Just enjoy the fresh air. You're listening to Trending with Timory. I want to talk today about teen girls reporting record levels of sadness, sorrow, loneliness, isolation, sexual violence, as well as suicidality. We'll talk about how we can help girls be happy again. Why is this happening? Also, women say, a vast majority of women say that they were coerced into having an abortion or didn't want to have an abortion and would have done otherwise had they had more support or better financial circumstances. So what does that tell us about eliminating the number of abortions that are taking place? giving greater support and options to women. We'll talk about that later on today on Trending. Joining me now is Catherine Contreras. She's the founder and president of Vox Vitae. It's forming Catholic pro-life leaders in this nation, especially in the battleground of California. Catherine, what's happening right now in California with California becoming a sanctuary state and even a quote-unquote spa destination for people who would like to have an abortion? Hi, Timory. Thank you very much for having me again. Well, it's true. We uh, California is a, a battleground, and um, we are up against uh, a lot of people in Sacramento that are trying to advocate um, for uh, more abortion and to create sanct- uh, California as a sanctuary state. And uh, and so the battle is being waged on both sides. So last week, fortunately. We did have a victory of some, uh, somewhat. Um, there were two bills, AB 315 and AB 710, that are now, thanks be to God, um, we're hoping that they're dead in the water, that they are now they're held in committee at the Assembly Appropriations Committee. And this is, these bills were targeting, <clears throat> excuse me, pro-life pregnancy centers. So AB 315 was would have enabled pro-abortion activists to sue pro-life pregnancy centers for speech that they considered false or misleading. But the bill was so, the the language of the bill was so expansive that any pro-life ministry or church like Boxy Tay, we have a um, a sidewalk advocacy program called Help and Hope. And so these, um, we would also have been under threat um, of being affected by this. And then, so this is, when we hear pro-abortion activists say that it really is about a woman's right to choose, well, pro-life pregnancy centers help women who have chosen to have their baby. Right, they, right. Pregnancy centers and uh, sidewalk advocates across the United States, we help pay rent. We provide mm-hmm. counseling and baby bottles and diapers, hugs and love and hope. And yet 
these um, pro-abortion activists in California are trying to shut them down. It's outrageous. And I hope for anybody that is hearing about this, that they're aware that this battle, like if they were going against the pregnancy centers that help women, they're really not for women. They're really for abortion. And that's significant what you just said, Catherine, because I'm going to discuss this later on today on the show. There's a recent report that came out pulling over a thousand women, and it showed that six out of 10 women, that's three in five women, would have given birth, they said, to their baby had they had more support supporting Mm -hmm. them, more people supporting them in their direct community when they told them they were pregnant or if they were in better Mm -hmm. better financial circumstances. And so the fact that, praise God, Assembly Bill 315 in California is not moving forward, but it would have, as you said, Mm -hmm. allowed pro-abortion activists to sue people who are helping women, giving women other options. And that's very significant. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit briefly about AB 710? And I know it's been defeated, but what was the attempt in California on that bill? <laughs> yeah, again, going up against um, the pregnancy centers. So AB 710 was would have created a public relations campaign to slander California pro-life pregnancy centers. So we know the truth about the pregnancy centers, about how helpful they are, about how supportive they are. But this uh, campaign would have called um, them fake clinics and would ha- they're trying to make people um, believe that pregnancy pregnancy care centers shame and intentionally mislead women about the reproductive options. Mm. And so um, that, so it was about, it was um, that they were lying and slandering pregnancy care centers across California. That's, that's what they were trying to do to make people start turning against the pregnancy care centers. Mm. It is outrageous. And this is why it is so important for people. You really have to be aware of what is happening legislatively. It is our responsible as Catholics. And we are Catholic Christians. We are supposed to be involved in the public square, being aware of what's happening legislatively, contacting your legislators. Do you even know who your um, uh, like your elected representatives are? Please contact them. Be aware of what they're voting for, what they're sponsoring. Do, the, do your elected representatives even know your name? We've got to get involved because the mm-hmm. things that they are trying to push forward in California whether you're in California or not, they're going to start trying to do the same thing in your state. And the battle for life is is active in California, but it's going to be happening across the United States. And we're seeing that state by mm-hmm. state. So we have to remain vigilant and informed. Yes. And praise God, your organization, Vox Vitae, is educating, equipping, and activating pro-life Catholic leaders right now on the ground. Mm-hmm. You're equipping activists and leaders from all over the nation, uh, but you have two major programs coming up this summer. Yeah. Uh, one exclusively for youth, forming and educating them not just on pro-life mm-hmm. apologetics, but their Catholic faith. And then another where all are welcome, specifically shaping and forming our pro-life Catholic adult leaders as well. Can you tell us a little bit more? Yes. So we have the Battle for Life Summit. It's an adult summit. Teens can come, but it is geared for adults. And so we have, um, we have brought in, um, speakers from live action, students for life, um, heritage action, California Family Council, and more, including yourself. People are going to be coming, like, to talk about, like, the battle for life. It's not something that is, um, that we can just be looking at in our state and thinking, no, we can't get involved. Our youth 
are being attacked in their schools, whether they think that they're a male or a female, and now they're getting confused and being hurt by this, where people are not even aware of what is happening on a national level and what they can do about it. So what we've done is we've invited um, students for life. They're going to be talking about the pro-life apologetics. How do you even talk about your, your uh, like, effectively communicate your pro-life position? Greg Burt from California Family Council, he's going to be talking about the California battle for the dignity of life. Now, the dignity of life, yes, it starts in the womb, but it also goes to, like, uh, gender ideology, and it goes to parent rights, and it, it's all-encompassing. And so he's going to talk about what what that battle has been looking like in California. And then Nathan Duell of Heritage Action, he's going to come, and he's going to talk about the national crisis and what you can do. Because... Our nation is in crisis. And so there's a lot of people who are aware, but gosh, what do we even do about that? Mm -hmm. And then Mauricio Leon, he's going to talk about you, you specifically, you, each and every individual, you can be involved in the battle for life. And this is what we're up against. Mm -hmm. What we're facing among our peers and everything, you know, it's mm -hmm, legal, it's political, mm -hmm. it's on college campuses and high school. Yeah. So it helps to equip us on how can we engage that conversation today among our peers. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. So we're asking everybody, please come to this. It's a, it's a, um, from noon to five, and lunch is included. And from noon to five in Pasadena, beautiful Pasadena. Um, please in July, July eighth. In July, yes, yes July eighth, and um, go to Vox Vitae, V O X V I T A E dot O R G, and register for the battle for life summit or also if you have a teenager we have a, a week-long sleepaway camp in the beautiful rightwood mountains at camp lolek where our teens will be able to hear about the battle for life but then also about the battle for their own life and how mm -hmm. they can make good decisions for themselves so they can carry on and have a beautiful journey with Jesus and Mary in their life, but then also they can make good decisions for their own life. So this way they won't be then turning into going into an abortion clinic because they're having an unplanned pregnancy or that they'll be able to help their friends realize, oh, you know what? Maybe this action is not exactly the best action for my life and my life plan and goals. And so helping them equip our precious team so they can make good, <coughs> excuse me, good life decisions. Amen. And it's fascinating to see because I've had the opportunity to work with some of these youth with Fox VT over the last five or six years. And these kids are facing the culture head on, hey, mm -hmm. whether they're in public school or Catholic school, you name it, from addressing gender ideology, from struggling with their own identity in certain uh, moments. I remember we've had, you know, kids at times who have really been struggling. We've been able to help reach out, you know, bring the parents in and help them navigate some really difficult situations going on personally. Yeah. Uh, we have addressed and helped to equip them in addressing culture with regard to abortion, with regard to so many topics, even suicide, you know, having one parent in the home, you name it. I love what Vox Vitae is doing. So this camp is one week long coming up this summer, starting July 9th, correct? Yes. Sunday, July 9th in Wrightwood, California. And if you are listening from other states, then please contact us and then we will work with you because we know that, you know, you have travel costs and everything. We will work with you. We want all kids, all teenagers, please 
send your teenager to camp. Please help them grow in faith, grow in virtue, and grow in fun. Camp is also fun, but there's archery and paintball, and there's hiking, and there's high ropes course and low ropes course and games and a talent show, and it's it's a lot of fun. We have a camp band. The, the kids are going to learn a lot, and they're going to have a lot of fun activities, but there's also daily mass daily adoration, daily rosary. And we all, like, uh, I hope everyone has experienced the joy of, be, of being able to go to Mass on a daily basis. You feel this growth and grace. Our kids are given that opportunity to grow in grace. And then as they move forward in life, they're going to remember the information mm-hmm. that they learned, the fun they had. But then also, gosh, I really loved celebrating and worshiping our Lord daily in mass and in adoration and in praying the rosary every day. So please send your kids to camp. Please come adults to our Battle for Life Summit. Please go to voxvitae.org, V-O-X-V-I-T-A-E.org and register. And again, that's the Battle for Life Summit, equipping and informing and educating adults in the Battle for Life in Pasadena, California. That's July 8th coming up, you know, not that far away. I know we still have Memorial Day and some major events, but this is an event you want to plan for, especially as you're forming and informing your pro-life voice when you want to do something to help with what we do in our own states since the overturning of Roe versus Wade and send your young teen to camp Vox Vitae it's so important you know I'm looking at what's happening in the culture and these kids are struggling if they do not have yeah. another perspective than what is on so- social media and what they're hearing in high school they're going to struggle and it's important and fundamental that they're receiving it from their parents but if they're not hearing it from others as well it makes it very difficult and so they're going to see like-minded people in Southern California of all places so join them in the hills and mountains of Southern California and that's beginning July 9th. We'll give that website one more time. I'll post on social media as well as in the episode notes. Voxvitae.org. That's V-O-X-V-I-T-A-E dot org. That's Catherine Contreras, the founder and president of Voxvitae, equipping and informing young people and leaders to speak out for the children and their moms and the culture we are facing today. You're listening to, to Trending with Timory again. That's been Catherine Contreras from Vox Vitae. I'll be right back and we're going to talk about teen girls reporting record levels of sadness as the CDC has reported even suicidality and shocking statistics, among others. But we're also going to talk about how to help girls be happy again. Also, interestingly, as we've been talking about abortion, women are saying that they were either coerced into abortion or that they would not have had their abortion had they had more support from their peers and been in a better financial situation. So what can we do about it? Believe it or not, you can be the change in that pregnant woman's life to save a baby. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Every couple of years, the CDC does a report reaching out to tons of schools across the nation, gathering data from teenagers. The latest recently came out from the CDC that interviewed over 17,000 youth, and the results are startling. I'm just going to hone in on what it says about teen girls. I've mentioned it a couple times over the last few months. 
Yeah, I think this data is very relevant. We've done a couple shows discussing it. Here are a few things to just ponder. One out of three teen girls have seriously considered suicide in the last year. One in five teenage girls have experienced some form of sexual violence. And three in five teen girls felt persistently sad or hopeless. Those are startling statistics. Even, not that I'm a huge fan of the CDC, uh, but even doctors and people coming out of the CDC are commenting saying that girls are in a crisis and they're saying they're miserable. I think this has been true for a long time, but it's not just teenage girls. It's adult women. It's single women. There's a crisis out there universally across the culture among men and women of sorrow, depression, anxiety, suicidality, even sexual violence. But the fact there are teen girls who are in these fundamental years of maturing and growing and in education systems and you know, and should be enjoying time with their peers, learning strong senses of responsibility, getting their first jobs, not other things that they shouldn't be doing for the first time. These girls are in major crisis. One in three teen girls seriously considered suicide. One in five teen girls seriously experienced sexual violence. And three in five girls felt persistently sad or hopeless. Those are the statistics of the young teenagers in our lives. Those are the statistics of the young teenagers in public and private school systems across the nation. Girls are depressed. When girls are depressed, they express that they're sad and hopeless. When boys are depressed, which by the way, boys are also uh, noting high levels of depression as well, boys tend to show that they're irritable and aggressive. Let's talk about girls today though. Here's some interesting things that also came out of that CDC report. Over the last year, more than one in 10 girls said that they were forced to have a sexual encounter, to have sex for the first time. And this is interesting as well. Those girls who identified as some form of LGBTQ, one in five of them said that they were forced to have sex as well. So what's happening? Well, I think this whole LGBTQ ideology, identity, we know statistically speaking that many young people, many adult grown adults who struggle with same-sex attraction often have had some form of sexual abuse or some sexual encounter prematurely that damaged their sexual orientation and how they viewed themselves. It's very clear. There's a lot of research behind this internationally. The fact that young girls... And this is just shocking to me. One in five experienced some form of sexual violence. And whatever spectrum of what that may be, wanted or unwanted, uh, the quantity of which occurred, the fact that any girl would say that they've experienced such high levels of sexual violence is startling. I think statistically it's interesting because even the CDC report itself notes that teens' well-being has dropped side by side with the rise of technology, the use of smartphones, and the adoption of social media. So what's going on? Well, let's just look at this with a bird's eye view for a moment because I think it's a very important. Now, I'm a millennial and I saw when I was coming up on the very end of high school, the invention of the iPhone coming out. I had an iPhone when I was in high school. I had a, had a phone when I was a young girl. You know, I was dancing a lot and I, had, I was away from my parents. So it was a means especially of communication with my parents from far off. Now, I was one of those people who had MySpace. I had Facebook, even though I think you're technically supposed to be 18 years old when you have it. Everyone had it anyways. 
Instagram didn't really come on the scene until I think I was well into college. And it's very interesting to see how I experienced the social media and the digital culture and then where it's gotten to today. Already for me, I remember seeing that comparison game on social media was difficult. Uh, the What you felt the pressure to post on social media, sharing everything or sharing a fake version of yourself, that was already present. We were already in new territory. At least back then, I think people still talked on the phone. People still engaged more in face-to-face conversations. People still went and hung out and were not sitting around on their cell phones. However, I do remember being in the same room as people and texting them. That, That was already starting to occur. What's happened to girls today? This has only gotten worse. Hours. We're talking about the average of 6, 8, 10, 12 more hours a day that youth are using their technology for recreational purposes, not for fun. Or sorry, not for education. They're using it recreationally. So what are girls doing? Girls are on social media. Girls are playing the comparison game. Girls are looking out into the culture in a very materialistic way, whether you call it from Pinterest to even the magazine form of Instagram. They're looking out and they're seeing, do I measure up to that? And what do they look at to say, what do I measure up to? The fact that every single woman today of every single age, every demographic is expected to perpetually be two things. And those are hot and available. The sexualization of young girls is so prevalent, there is no surprise that girls in droves are coming out as transgender together because it's something they can gather around. It's something they can do with their bodies to conform their bodies to be similar and the same as others and to be hidden in a culture that is saying, you are only what we see you for on social media. You are only what we see you for in terms of a sexual object. So why not erase our sexuality? Why not turn it into something that the culture says is less than? That is men, right? I mean, truly, the pro-feminist culture we live in says that men cannot do everything that women can do much better. And women are shamed for even the desire to be mothers. I've seen it even among my peer set. Some saying, oh, I don't want to dress my daughter in pink. Oh, I don't want to give my daughters dolls. I don't want to start my daughter in a dance class. All of these things that people are saying, okay, yes, let your child choose everything and everything he or she wants. But what about also helping to cultivate the beauty of a child playing with a baby doll and being gentle and kind and generous and maternal? Is there such a bad thing as that? The number of girls today who said, oh, we we didn't have baby dolls. We weren't supposed to have them. What about allowing a girl to decide for herself if she doesn't like taking a dance class? I'm not saying all girls need to take dance classes. Quite the contrary. I've even done an episode on a lot of concerns I have about uh, enrolling children in dance classes today. Even my parents say that they would be very hesitant about enrolling children in dance classes. Uh, There's a lot of hesitation I have. I'll have to cover that again uh, one day on the show. But we'll post a link to that episode where I did discuss whether or not I would put my kids in dance and kind of some of those parameters I have now when looking at it, if you had a question on that, I think the challenge is significant. So again, throw your daughter in dance class. If she's interested, if she doesn't like it, she can stop. Whatever it is, I think that we need to stop forcing, well, I want my child to be gender neutral, but still want my child to be a female. 
I think that's darn confusing to children. It's also confusing with the way that parents encourage or want their children to dress. Dress elegantly, dress beautifully, have nice clothes, but don't just buy what's easy. And the number of people who are wonderful human beings, respectable, and who have morality around them and faith around them, who still wear a quarter of a shirt in the shorts that their butt cheeks are hanging out. Yes, I am saying there is something to be said of what is that young girl being told by what she's allowed to be to wear? What is she being told? That she's still supposed to be hot and available. And I think there's a lot of pressure on adult women today who feel like they themselves need to be hot and available. So they portray that onto their daughters with what they allow their daughters to wear. It, the whole crisis is outstanding. I was just watching a video earlier this morning of a mother of a 15-year-old daughter who went before the school board of her child's high, high school. And the mother said, I would like to read to you the assignment that my daughter had to not just write about, but also had to verbally actually present to other people. She had to memorize it and talk about it in front of other people. And it was outright pornographic as she was trying to read what this assignment was to the school board. And she was given, let's just say, two minutes or so. They were actually turning off her microphone, not allowing her to speak because she was saying pornographic words. She said, this is what was assigned to my daughter and what she was expected to memorize, write about and say out loud in front of other people. They would not even allow this mother to share what her 15 year old daughter was having to do in school that was pornographic, that was sexualizing her and others. I think the crisis of young girls today is not going to go away. We can't expect school systems to just change it while heroic parents do go and address school boards. That's important, but that's not the answer. There's a real crisis stemming before us that will not go away unless we lean in to the specific young girls in our lives and what they are experiencing. Why are we talking about all of this? If you're just joining us, I've been talking about this the last couple of months, but I wanted to take a deep dive. The CDC reported for last year with having interviewed over 17,000 youth from across the nation that one in three teen girls seriously considered suicide, one in five girls experienced sexual violence, and three in five teenage girls felt persistently sad or hopeless. That is depressed. There's a crisis for young girls today. They are saying they are miserable. So how do we help them? What is the solution for young girls to be happy? I have, I would say, eight things that I want to talk about here that I think are helpful, that are a blueprint, I think, for getting the ball rolling on making some changes. And the first two are pretty extreme, and the rest of them do indeed take work, and it requires adults to step into their teenagers' lives. I know the teenage years are years where, you know, teenagers are starting to stem out on their own, having, you know, friendship engagements and events outside of the relationship with their parents. Those are great things, but the relationship with the parents still matter. You know, there have been studies done where a kid, a teenager is asked, would you rather $20 or would you like to spend the whole day with your parents? And believe it or not, what do the teenagers say? They'd rather spend the whole day with their parent. So even your jaded, seemingly not listening teenager still wants to be with you and spend time with you, no matter what they say, do, or seem to represent. It's a, it's a, 
a developmental stage? Can we recognize that the teenage years are developmental stages? Just like my two-year-old is going through a developmental stage of testing how far away from me she wants to go, but she doesn't want me to be far away because she still wants to be able to look up and see I'm there, and that gives her the affirmation that she needs to continue to do what she's doing with her independent play. There are different series and development that are significant in those teenage years just because teens may rebel, may seem like they're not listening, may try to do everything without you, doesn't mean that they don't still need you and in fact still want you. And that's what's so important about this. So here are my eight key things, I think, to really change the dynamic happening with young teenage girls in this crisis that is being reported by even the CDC. You're listening to Trending with Timory if you just joined us. So number one, again, I mentioned the first two are extreme. The first two are extreme, and the next are going to take work from parents. It's all about what the parents can do. It's not about how the teenager needs to fix herself. It's about what parents need to do to help create a conducive environment. Number one, get off of social media. That's right, completely get off of social media. You can have a conversation, and if they're willing to voluntarily do it, great. If not, they can be voluntold. You're the parent. You're the guardian. They're the child. You are intervening in the life of a minor whose brain is not fully developed and who you are responsible for protecting and guarding. I don't care how embarrassed they are for not having social media. Let them blame you. Yeah, my mom literally deleted all my social media accounts. Yeah, my dad doesn't want me on social media anymore. Let your kid blame you. Let and tell them. Say, if anyone makes fun of you or says something, blame me. Blame me as much as you want. It gives them a great out. And I think that's really important. Sometimes that's the out they need that even if they don't want it, they can just blame you. Believe me, when I hear from these young people across the nation, when I hear from the parents who say, you know, we took away the social media or we didn't give social media or a phone. I was just talking to a couple on Thursday night. They didn't give a cell phone. They didn't give social media. Guess what? Kids are doing great. And no, they're not awkward. I think that's sometimes one of those questions. Well, I don't want my kid to be awkward. Guess what? They know how to pick up a phone, a real phone, and actually have a conversation and communicate with people. They're not struggling with depression because they're comparing themselves for hours on end every day on social media. We're looking at averages of 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 hours a day that teenagers are spending for recreation on technology. Recreation, that doesn't include school include school hours. So number one is get them off social media. Cold turkey, do it. Detoxes are hard. We've had guests here. Join me. We'll post the link on how to get your your teen off social media. Melanie Hempy has shared with me along with uh, Dr. Stacy as well uh, what to do. You know, bringing board games to them, helping the kids go through that dopamine detox that occurs when you get off social media. Number two, either you have three options. The idea is no phone, a phone on an must need basis if they're going to be very far away or a gab phone. I advocate for no phone or better yet, a gab phone. A gab phone will post link on social media. It's talk text only. You can prevent pictures from being a part of it because I'm going to be very frank with you. I know many young women who, when they had phones starting at 11 and 12 years old, were being sent naked pictures of other people to them and vice versa. This is just the norm. First-time exposure for pornography is really between the ages of 8 and 12. It's shifting further and further back, and it's not just for boys. It's for young girls. What happens when a young girl is receiving unwanted sexual content on her phone? She doesn't want it. She deletes it. It happens again and again. 
But what does she start to think of herself if that's the type of attention she's receiving from other people at times? The phones need to be locked down. Parents are saying it wasn't enough to just take it away at a certain time of the day. It's no phone on occasion when needed, but really Gab phone has been the great solution and it's much later. The whole idea is delay. ScreenStrong.com is a great resource for any parent who's wanting to lock down social media and phone. So again, I said the two are going to be rather difficult, but that's okay. Again, you're the parent, they're the child, you are protecting them. And with the number of teenage girls reporting the experience of sexual violence, reporting a serious consideration of suicide, and reporting persistent sadness and hopelessness. We've got to do something to stop. I think that's so important that we see that. Okay, so I said I've got eight things. Number three, you need to engage your daughter, or maybe it's a niece or a granddaughter that who you can also lean in and be a part of this, or maybe it's a sibling. Engage your daughter with intentional time unplugged, okay? So in three ways. You need to engage your daughter, that young teenage girl in your life, with intentional time. Family time mom-daughter time, and dad-daughter time. And all of this needs to occur weekly. It's fundamental that your daughter is receiving affirming positive engagement from you, knowing that you're proud of her without having to focus on, oh, did you get an A or did you do this? No, you're proud of her. You just want to be her. You want to delight in her. I think that's so fundamental. I think we live in a culture that is so focused on, did you get good grades? How many extracurricular activities have you done? How many volunteer hours have you engaged in? Yes, that's great to celebrate those things, but instead focus on the person and the value of that person rather than their productivity and just celebrating their productivity. Number four, helping your daughters, helping teen girls to foster quality friendships, helping them to understand the difference between quality friendships, toxic friendships. And that's modeled, by the way, by the relationships they see you have as well and how you handle those relationships. Maybe it means you have to spend more time inviting other teen girls into your home and sitting down and teaching them how to play a board game. We played a lot of board games in our home and card games. And I know growing up, our house was a house that a lot of people enjoyed coming over to. Number five, and can I just mention for a moment, friendships are really hard for me. And starting right about in the middle school years and all throughout high school, friendships were really difficult. And I'll say next to nil at times. But there were things that still had to be done to cultivate being around other young people that were important. And I think that's why there are multiple facets to this. I mentioned number three, engage your daughter. One-on-one time between mom and daughter, dad and daughter. Quality family time that is unplugged. Number five is cultivating interests and hobbies. This was really key for me when I was struggling with that isolation and loneliness. Uh, hobbies. What is your kid interested in? Do they know what they're interested in? I speak to young people across the nation and I'm astounded by this one thing. Time and time again, I'll ask, what are you interested in? What do you like to do for fun? What are you good at? Unanimously, do you know what I hear from young people, high school students, college students? I'm not good at anything. Yeah, I never played a sport. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, I never played an instrument. Okay, that's fine. What do you like to do with your free time? Nothing. Why? Because they've spent an average, as statistics show, of 8, 10, and 12 hours recreationally on social media. For me, what was it? What did I do? I loved reading. Reading was cultivated in our house. I'm sick of people saying, oh, well, my kid doesn't like to read. Find a good book for them to read. Help them find something they'll read. Please, parents, 
double check that it does not have outright porn in it. I can't tell you how many teenage fiction books I have picked up that have straight up pornographic content in it. It's horrible. So vet what they're reading too. I, and there are great places that actually pre-vet that, faith-based places that pre-vet content so you know whether or not it's good for your kid. Find one that you trust. You know, so I danced, I read a lot, I went hiking, I enjoyed the outdoors, I spent time with my family, I loved youth group, I loved going to conferences that my parents were going to, my mom in particular in the pro-life movement. So help cultivate interests, get your kids thinking, which brings me to number six, cultivate conversations on what is beauty, what healthy relationships are, clothing, morality. Look at fashion magazines. I have this hardbound, big, beautiful book of uh, Vogue cover magazines from the last 80 years, let's say. And it's really neat to see and go through and kind of just ponder and look at the evolution of clothing. And sometimes even seeing there are some Vogue magazine covers where an outfit that was worn in 1930 on the cover of Vogue is worn again in 1999. But you know what the difference is? It's the same level of modesty, but it's how the person's carrying herself. And you talk about how modesty isn't just what we wear, but how we speak, how we interact with each other, how we carry our bodies. So number seven, to help girls in this crisis that they're facing. If you're just joining us, I'm walking through, I, earlier I walked through the CDC report showing that one in three teenage girls seriously considered suicide. One in five teenage girls experienced sexual violence in the last year. And three in five teenage girls felt persistently sad or hopeless. That is depressed. What are we doing to fix it? Well, I'm on a seven-point list of what we can do to fix it. And I hope you'll listen to the podcast if you're just joining me. If you have a teenage girl in your life, whether you're a parent, a sibling, an aunt, uncle, grandparent, pass this episode on to other people because I think there are a lot of parents out there that see that something's wrong, but they don't know what to do. And so here's a blueprint. Let's start working on it. It's not going to be easy, but it will change and possibly even save a young girl's life. Number seven on what we can do to help make girls happy again is faith formation. What does faith formation look like? Youth group is great. Youth group is great, but that is not the sole responsibility for faith formation. The primary responsibility of parents of married couples is to have children and to educate their children in the faith. Not to pay for a fancy, expensive education that will get them into the best college. That's great, but that's not your primary role. Education means their faith education, the formation of their character, their formation of what is right and wrong. Young people today think everything's gray. Hence why everyone says you can be a boy or a girl or you can be whatever, non-binary. Everything's purple. There is such a thing as black and white. And so, giving that faith formation, teaching about God, teaching about the incarnation, teaching about Our Lady, telling the stories of saints. This is so important that they have something to aspire to, which is why I think while not everyone can go to a conference that has great inspiring speakers for young teenage girls, what you can do is you can engage in podcasts. You can listen and help them to see. I know parents who have don't let their kids have social media, which is great, but maybe from time to time, allowing your kid to follow on social media a positive Catholic pro-life type of influencer who can be a great mod role model for them to just see a little bit of their content and even how people are responding to that content in droves as well. You can talk to your child about a podcast you've listened to. 
where you're having discussions. I was just covering a couple of weeks ago here on Trending uh, how to address different things going on with women's health and fertility, even in the teenage years. I had a cousin of mine who was listening to the show and she texted me later. She said, I never knew any of this. I wish my teenage girls or I wish my girls knew this and started to be formed in this. Like this is how important it is. But there's so much information even about our bodies that have been so skewed by the feminist culture. And so engaging youth groups, engaging good pro-life Catholic peers. Hey, send them to Vox Vitae. I just mentioned earlier about that pro-life training camp for youth where they can meet other great people. Look for opportunities like that. Faith formation also includes reading books reading books about stories of saints. I've been sharing with you, I've been reading the story of St. Genevieve. Incredible story. It would be riveting for a teenager. I'm enjoying it. My my two-year-old daughter sitting here listening, enjoying it. You know, it's bogus when people keep saying, oh, well, my daughter doesn't like to read. It's because it is not being cultivated. And that's why you got to get rid of the phones and get rid of social media, which were the two hardest things I mentioned in this eight-point plan. Number eight, a prayer life must be cultivated in young girls knowing how to do morning and night prayer, engaging in an examination of conscience, finding their favorite prayers, finding their prayer books that they love, that they have. Maybe even starting to work with them on reading different parts of the Bible, the different stories of the saints. There are so many things that can be done to cultivate that prayer life. Even, believe it or not, getting your daughter to start going maybe on occasion to daily mass or to adoration. When I got my driver's license at 16, one of the first things I did because I saw my great grandmother my great grandmother catholic grandmother do every day she went to mass every day and that's what i wanted to do and i will say it was probably one of the greatest blessings for me was receiving our lord jesus christ body blood and soul and divinity and having access to daily confession if i so wanted or needed it so how are we going to take back our teen girls from the culture of suicidality depression and sexual violence it's by leaning in and doing some really hard work And don't leave parents alone. If you're in the life of a young teenage girl as well, and you can help with that influence, these are key. I hope you'll share this episode with a loved one who has a teenage daughter. You can find it relevantradio.com forward slash trending or wherever podcasts are listened to because we need to help reshape and reform the culture. I'll be right back sharing some interesting news about women saying that they've been coerced into having abortions and what we can do about it. Listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Okay, I was really interested a handful of years ago in the study that came out called the Turnaway Study. And it was a 10-year-long study by a radically pro-abortion activist who said, we're going to study the lives of women who, when they went to have an abortion, were turned away and could not do it because of some restriction in their state with regard to abortion or in their local community. And so they couldn't get the abortion. What happened? Did they go to another area and find an abortion? Did they stay local? Well, this whole study was really interesting. It was a very, very small study. And what was interesting when it came out a couple of years ago was that the author of the study who was radically pro-abortion kept doing these interviews on it. And I would listen to one after another. And she would report on the data and then she would try to make up 
her own view of the data or skew the data. It was really intriguing to see what she tried to do. Bottom line was, is that what happened was the further away from the attempted abortion these women got, the happier they were with their decision. So like two weeks after, while they were still pregnant, they were like, yeah, you know, maybe they were kind of glad. A month later, they're like, yeah, I I think I'm glad. You know, two months later, yeah, I'm glad. You know, I'm happy I'm still pregnant. And then when they'd have the baby, they would have the baby. And they're like, yeah, I'm struggling with some mental health issues. But yeah, I'm happy I have this baby. And so the, the study creator would say, oh, women are having severe mental health issues after having babies when they were told they couldn't have an abortion. The whole data set was astounding. But here's a statistic that they released. They started trying to claim that 99% of all the women who did have abortions were very glad with their decision, that they were satisfied they hadn't had an abortion. The data is not there to support it in the study. I actually have the full book on the turnaway study. The data just isn't there. Not to mention that there were too few people in the data set. The whole thing was ridiculous. But here's what happened. A recent study came out of a thousand women aged 41 to 45 who had had an abortion. And Some of the statistics were astounding. This was nationwide. Again, a thousand women in their 40s, quite removed usually from their abortion experience or sometimes having had multiple abortions. Here are some of the interesting things that were said. I think first, it's interesting and sad, but I'm not surprised that one in five women who had abortions said that that abortion was either unwanted or coerced unwanted or coerced, either by peers, the pro-abortion movement, uh, the culture pressuring them. Another three out of five women who had abortions said that they felt a high degree of pressure to abort by others. So three out of five women, three out of five women who have abortions say they feel a high degree of pressure to have an abortion. Why? I would say because of the anti-child culture we live in, The fact that everyone says the child gets in the way of your hopes and dreams and that you should only have a baby when it's the perfect timing. There's no such thing as perfect timing. (laughs) I make the joke. I moved cross country while eight weeks or eight months pregnant experiencing preterm labor and bought a sold a house and bought a house. There is no good time to have a baby, buy a house or get married. I've been told that many times before. I think it was sage wisdom that I hope everyone remembers. There's no good time to buy a house get married or have a baby is always trying circumstances. There's never the perfect time. The perfect time will never come for any of those things, especially having children. The culture and demonic warfare, spiritual warfare is real. And the culture says there's no good time to have a baby unless it's on your perfect terms until you've had that vacation you've always wanted until you achieve that certain academic level until You have a certain type of career, but then once you achieve that career, how could you dare leave that career? And these insults to women are so significant. No wonder three out of five women who have had abortions say they feel they felt high pressure to have that abortion by others. Now, that's just the anti-child culture and the pro-abortion culture I'm talking about. That's not even talking about peers, peers who say, you know, you can just have, you can eliminate that. You can just terminate and move on. No one will know. I won't say anything. The number of women who have been in circumstances such as that are astounding. I remember a couple years ago, I'd been on the road and I was in Southern California in Orange County and we were at this Hot Pots restaurant eating 
and you know hot, this hot pots restaurant was all kind of this where everyone's at this bar type of um, seating there aren't real tables and so there's a woman by herself sitting next to us and she's going on and on talking about how she was just tired she had to get out of the house she told her husband here take the kids i'm going she just went out to this hot pots place we ended up sitting next to her and she was venting and going on she just needed to be her she needed someone to listen to her one point she was talking about you know the potential thought at one time that she was considering terminating a pregnancy and you know for my mom my sister and i we know what termination means it means abortion not everyone's as quick to jump on or a lot of people just reduce it to that word quote termination and so you know it was an opportunity to talk about to this woman who said she chose life but to talk about you know being a good mom it's okay to be tired and you know there are moments where it's not easy and yes you don't always get to do what you want you often don't get to do what you want I think those things are significant to help women feel and be heard because three out of five women are not feeling heard when they say that they are pregnant. In fact, six in 10 women. So what is that? Three out of five women said they would have given birth had they had more support from others or better financial security. So listen to this. Three out of five women report feeling high degree of pressure to abort their child by others. But those same women, three out of five women, also say that they would have given birth. They would have chosen life for their baby if they had had more support from others or better financial security. This, my friend, is why you are so important in your family member, in your peer, in your friend group. Because you can be sometimes the sole voice of reason, life, truth, joy, motherhood, the blessing of children, and sometimes the only person who can help in finding additional financial security, some help with rent, some help with diapers, just verbal affirmation, someone to talk to about the difficulties of pregnancy. You can help provide that security that women need. Three out of five women say that they had abortions because they felt a high degree of pressure. One in five women said that they were coerced into abortion. This is significant. Women need to know they have options from pro-life voices such as you. And it's not just friends. It's people who maybe you're at the grocery store and you see someone who's very pregnant saying congratulations. I remember, you may have been with me. I remember I was, I think it was 2020. I was pregnant with my first daughter and I was ready to pop. I think it was a week or two until Christmas and my due date. I was right around then. And I was walking out of Banana Republic. I think I had been at one of the outlet stores. And as I'm walking out, there's a Bath and Body Works right next door. There's a huge line for all these people that want to go into Bath and Body Works during COVID time. And all these people are waiting and I'm walking out and this man just looks at me. And he, by the way, he's a regular listener to Relevant Radio and shout out and hello if you're there uh, listening now. And he's looking at me. He had no idea who I was. And he's looking at me and I see tears in his eyes. And he says, can I just give you some money? Thank you for choosing life. God bless you. And he's celebrating motherhood. And I was like, no, I said, I'm pro-life too. I'm pro-life too. I said, thank you. You're so kind. But I saw his joy in wanting to celebrate the gift of life and motherhood. We need to do the same. Not everyone may be able to give a financial gift, but you can just affirm and smile at someone who is facing a pregnancy in the anti-mother and baby culture we live in. 
This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Do you hear that a majority of young men under the age of 30 have left the dating market? Single men who are no longer going to be dating. I'm talking about the majority of them under the age of 30. Some of you might be scratching your head thinking, what on earth are these guys thinking? Well, they're thinking quite a bit and they're doing quite a bit as well with regard to why they're no longer in the dating scene. We'll talk about it and talk about solutions on trending. So join me daily, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio.